Welcome to the Small Business Big Life Podcast. My name is Derek Van Ness, and I'm the lead wealth strategist and founder at Big Life Financial, where we use innovative tax and financial strategies to help business owners keep more of the money they make and be a whole lot smarter at growing it. We believe every person has something unique and valuable to bring to the world, but far too often money stops them from sharing those gifts. We're here to fix that problem by helping people get money out of the way so they can unleash their full potential on the world. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll even reveal how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest growing daily inspirational podcasts on the planet. So let's get this thing started now. Well, welcome everybody. This is Derek Van Ness, your host with the Small Business Big Life podcast. And we are sprinkling your day with another bit of magic and some wisdom. And uh, I think we've got quite a story for you today. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. Today, we're going to be talking with Dana Humphrey. And uh, Dana, I just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you here as we were chatting a little bit before the show. It sounds like you've got a really cool story to tell. Um, but before we get into all that, why don't you tell the people out there just like the 30-second the version of who you are, what you're up to, and where people can find you online if they love all the things you're about to share with us. Awesome. Well, um, I'm an entrepreneur and a professor. I teach at FIT and Baruch University, and I'm an entrepreneur for multiple different companies. I have a PR firm called Whitegate PR. I run a trade show called the NYC Retails and Sales Pet Expo, and I'm also a life coach and a death doula. And people can learn more about me at DanaHumphrey.com. That's D-A-N-A-H-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y.com. And you can also find me on social media at Dana K. Humphrey. Very cool. Okay, so that was pretty power-packed. Like I said, there's going to be quite a story here. But before we jump into the story, you've obviously experienced a lot of things, have a lot of interests, uh, and we're going to get into that. But if you could just share one piece of advice that's been a guiding light or a North Star for you, what would you say to the listeners? Yeah, I'm happy to share my favorite quote. It's, uh, don't copy the world, be a different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Very cool. So you being in uh, in marketing and PR, I'm sure we're going to dig into what that means to you and, and all of that. But so so why don't we let that happen as we dig in a little further here? Well, let's, let's start at the beginning. Where did you, you've obviously had some lefts and right turns along the way here, it sounds like, either that or you've just been all over the map the whole time. Uh, but I'm I'm interested, how did you become an entrepreneur? It sounds like that's something you're really passionate about. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, um, I have a degree in public relations from San Diego State University. And when I was first getting my degree, I was working for a couple different startups. And I love working with entrepreneurs. Um, I was working with a wine startup. They were helping save great white sharks. It was a lot of fun. We got to go cage diving with great white sharks and taste wine along the way. And I loved being, it was just me and, and the couple who ran the company. And I loved that. I loved being on the ins and outs of the everyday operations. And then I transitioned from that um, to a small company called Muttropolis, where we were doing pet stuff all day long. And my job was to make mutt puns and um, doing all the marketing and PR there. And so those two experiences really helped me see how um, being an entrepreneur can be a lot of fun and you can have a lot of freedom. So from there, I launched Whitegate PR and all the other businesses after that. And I became the pet lady. And um, I do lots of TV segments talking about tips and tricks for pet owners. Very, very cool. So 
what does the pet lady mean? Did you work and do PR for a lot of, of pet people or did you get involved with a lot of pets yourself or explain what that means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I first was starting Whitegate PR, um, I was working with all consumer products and services, olive oil, music, a few pet things. But really because of my background um, at Metropolis, it really made sense to stay in the pet industry. So fast forward a couple of years, all of our clients are in the pet product industry. It's an $84 billion industry. And I was doing a lot of TV segments talking about different pet products. And I was out in Fresno, California, where they call everyone the something lady, the plant lady, uh-huh. the, you know, and so they introduced me as the pet lady and I really liked it. I thought that really works for me. So I got the trademark. I worked with a lawyer. I have the website. And so since that, that segment, I've been the pet lady um, when I do my various um, NBC or ABC segments. So that brings up a really good point. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about. And since you're a marketing person and a PR person, I want to get your opinion on it. I do think there's a lot of value to being the blah, blah, blah lady or the so-and-so guy, right? Like people... Expert. Yeah, like, well, even like a a nickname that's easier to remember because if your name is, you know, Derek Van S, like mine, like (laughs) people may not remember that. But if they remember, you're the... I don't know. So I've, I started doing this on my videos. I started start, starting every video with what I call a, uh, I guess it's a vocal sort of logo. And I just started saying, knock, knock everybody. And then I go into my thing. Right. And the idea was then I can be the knock, knock guy. Not that knock, knock's the coolest thing, but I kind of feel like what I do is open doors up for people financially and, and with some wisdom and try and help them and so I thought it would be kind of a fun thing. And it's things I've seen others do. But I'm just wondering for you, Dana, like, has the, 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 the pet lady really turned? Do you think that's helped or do you think it makes oh, yes. a significant difference? That definitely helps. And I love that you're the knock-knock guy. Immediately, that makes me think of the um, the points guy. Like, yeah, there's all kinds of um, people out there who have kind of termed themselves these mm-hmm. little catchy phrases. I think it absolutely helps. If I'm to go to, to you know, I'm a traditional PR person. So when I pitch, um, I typically pitch a client as an inventor or um, sometimes I'll even come up with a catchy name for them, like the dog tag lady or whatever. Um, it makes it something bigger than itself. And Mm -hmm. so it kind of makes the X, it it like tells you they're an expert before they even have to go into it. Um, so there's definitely some mileage that I've gotten from being the pet lady that I would not have gotten from being Dana Humphrey. There's a million Dana Humphreys out there. A lot of them are men and live in the Midwest, but (laughs) they're not all the pet lady. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I just remember like, so I, I spent a lot of time in the real estate investing world when I was younger and I flipped a couple hundred houses, but I went to a million trainings and it seemed like every one of them was the, he's the reverse wholesaling guy. He's the passive income guy. He's the rental sweat equity guy. Like every one of them had like this thing. And I couldn't remember their names because they were all like Joe and Larry and Tom and like really, really simple names. Right. And there's a million Joe and Larry and Tom's out there, but I knew who they were by their such and such guy. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. So if someone's building a personal brand, my, my guess is if you can find something that's authentic to you, that probably makes sense to, to start hooking that into your tag. 
Yeah. And something I always tell people is like, you can never be niche enough, you know? Mm. And I think that's what those real estate guys were doing. They were getting really niche into who they were targeting and what exactly they were doing versus just being a general specialist. Um, even within public relations, there's not that many people that's that focus on the pet industry. Um, even though it's a huge industry and there's tons and tons of pet products out there, there's a handful of um, PR people that specialize in the pet industry. And I, I mean, I know all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have that in a couple of industries, but so I, I want to ask you about this because you've, you've done this, you started off, it sounds like as a little bit more of a generalist and yeah. then you decided, Hey, I want to niche up. And so every single marketing course you ever take says, figure out your avatar, right? Who's your client? Who's your ideal client and figure out your niche and not just like, women, right? Like that's not a niche. That's half the <laughs> right. world. Right. right. <laughs> but like, and not even just women entrepreneurs, but like the, the niche you can get the better. But I do know this from my own personal experience. Um, and from a lot of clients I've talked to, if you have clients that are all over the board, it's scary to think if I go niche, I might lose out on a bunch of other clients. I'm interested in your experience or, or what you've seen happen when people do go from more general to really niche especially in the beginning because it's it's scary to think I might cut off half my customer base or more. Yeah, any change is scary. Um you know, I think that being the pet lady and being someone that someone can refer to for PR spe- specifically for the pet industry has helped me a lot. Um my business is like 100% referral based and so if people can remember me by being the pet lady versus, you know, maybe even not remembering my name, but they can find me that way. Um, I do think it's helped me a lot. Um, there is that fear. Um, and, you know, it's also, you know, we, we do take on, we do take on a couple of non pet clients, um, mm-hmm. you know, every quarter. And it's really more about, uh, can I figure out a way to spin them that will work? You know, Mm -hmm. when I'm working with just pet clients all the time, I know the ways to spin them because Mm -hmm. I'm doing it all the time. And so, and I know who to pitch them to. And it's a lot more of a streamlined process. You know, I can call Dogster and have one conversation with them and talk to them about 10 different pet products clients Mm -hmm. versus calling Dogster and Billboard and all the different media outlets across the range. Even within this, the even within the pet industry, I have some that are consumers, some that are B two B, some that are working on a crowdfunding and they want financial press. So even within the pet space, there is um, diversity of who we're actually targeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as you know, as long as there's um, uh, an, I can see an angle of how I could potentially get them some media coverage. Um, I'll take them on. Like if it's like a furniture company or um, a karate place, like there's just no, there's just no (laughs) to, to play with that. And I'll happily refer them to someone who does general PR, but then I, you know, certain nonprofits I take on because I think they're really interesting. I think they're doing something really cool. And I see a way that I can tell the media about what they're doing. So it just depends. Cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing that insight because I think, you know, for a lot of people like marketing, right? Like running Facebook ads or 
or print ads or whatever is one thing they're familiar with, but not, not so much the branding and PR side of it, right? It's, it's kind of a, I mean, the two work hand in hand, but I think of them as very different. And I think a typical business owner is not super familiar with that. So can you maybe give us uh, just one or two things to think about from what differentiates PR from like direct marketing and, and how, where, where does it, for a small business owner, where does that kind of fall into their, their playlist? Excellent. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of people are confused about what public relation is. And it's also problematic because um, different PR people do different things. So it makes it even harder to understand. But I see it really as there's a marketing umbrella. And within that, you have public relations and you have advertising. So advertising is when you pay very specifically to get your message said in a certain way to a certain audience. And PR, it's all about earned media. Um, so we're trying to get our clients winning awards either for themselves or for their products. So then we can tell that story that they they earned that award, they earned this recognition, now we need to, to sing their praises. Um, so that's really the main difference um, is like this idea of earned media. So it's mm. like launching something new, um, uh, creating something different. And that's when we kind of get that earned factor. Ah, I love that. That's, that's really cool because I do think there's an extra level of credibility when somebody's earned something versus they just paid for it, right? You paid for an ad versus you were featured in a magazine, uh, two different levels of credibility and expertise and uh, authority there. So very, very cool. So uh, you've obviously been doing this for a long time, but then it sounds like you've also added a new element to what you're up to uh, that's a little bit more personal, a little more close to home. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I've been a marketer for a long time and um, doing public like, public relations and marketing for different clients since 2007. And uh, last year, it, I was uh, SIP, I was stuck in paradise in Guatemala for a couple of months um, when COVID first happened. And um, I was still, I was working from over there, but really um, I had an epiphany that I wanted to stop doing marketing and public relations and move towards doing life coaching. And so I shaved my head as a reminder to myself to um, pursue that passion. And um, being over there gave me some time and space to launch the website and launch the business and create the content. So um I'm now doing everything all at once. I'm still doing some, I'm still doing some teaching. I'm still um, doing some PR and I'm also launching the life coaching business. Um, I'm also writing a memoir that goes alongside <laughs> that. That's all. That sounds like a lot, a lot to handle and a lot of soul searching going on there. So that's, that's really cool and, and brave. Let me ask you this. Has there been any is, it, is the life coaching a totally separate thing or have you found that there's some synergy between what you do with PR and what you're doing with the, with the life coaching side? I mean, really the idea with the, the life coaching business is to help others with their soul searching. Um, mm-hmm. And there absolutely is an overlap of the different skill sets of, you know, really um, a lot of the clients that I've had over the past, you know, 15 years on the PR side have been small um, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs even. And a lot of times they call me to talk through what's happening in their lives. Mm -hmm. I act as a therapist for a lot of my PR clients. So 
just moving that over to, you know, specifically having someone say, yes, I want a life coach. And yes, I'd like life coaching is a little bit different. Um, but I often am holding my clients' hands every step of their way in their own life journey and through their business. Yeah. What, what I found being both a coach, a consultant, and now, you know, I kind of do the, the financial strategy side of things is how the business, how you go in your head and in your heart is how the business goes, right? In a small business, the, the, the business owner really has a lot of weight and a lot of influence. I think as a company grows, you know, and gets its own culture, maybe if the business owner is having a tough day, it doesn't go all the way down the ranks that day. But in a small business, especially if there's three, four, five, maybe 10 of you and you're in close quarters, like it, it really matters. And obviously getting all that stuff straight. And I do believe in this. I believe that being an entrepreneur is the closest thing to a you know, outside of religion to a spiritual journey you can have, right? Because you got to dig deep and it's, it's tough, right? So maybe tell me a little about how, how do you, how, how's that worked for you? How's your journey been that way? Have you found, found that side of it? Yeah, you really have to trust yourself, right? Um, that's the big, that's the first leap of faith. I think when you go from being an employee to an entrepreneur, um, is really that leap of trusting yourself that you're going to be able to make things happen on your own without relying on that paycheck coming in. Um, so when I first made the leap, it was in 2000, um, well, it was in 2008 when we were having a big, um, you know, financial crisis in the United States and parts of the world. And, um, it was a little bit scary and, there's always, there's always fear and change, right? Because it's unfamiliar to us. Um, but, you know, there's also an opportunity to turn that fear into excitement. And so um, it's the same kind of feeling of getting the butterflies before going on stage. It's like harnessing those butterflies and really using them to push you forward. So um, I'm excited for that. Cool. I, I have this this theory about this, I have heard that fear and excitement are actually the same emotion, just depending on where you're, you know, kind of where you're standing at the time, but the way that you experience them is very similar. I have this idea of what I call like, this is going to be really clunky, but, but like the competency pyramid. So if you can imagine a pyramid and as you get better, you move forward along that pyramid. And as the pressure gets greater, if your competence isn't good, like if you're not good at what you do, more pressure pushes you backward. It makes you back go backwards, right? Because of the mm-hmm. pyramid. But as you get better, it actually accelerates your results because it brings out the best in you because you are now good enough that it it fuels you and moves you forward. So in a lot of my endeavors, my goal is to get over that hump to where more pressure makes me better instead of like, you know, in, in a sense, feeding my security and excitement versus my fears and, and insecurity. Um, but uh, to me, that's kind of where that pivot happens between fear and, uh, and excitement is, is when you get good enough that you know, I know my stuff, I can handle this, I'm going to knock it out of the park versus what if they find out I'm a fake? Does that make sense at all? <laughs> yeah, totally. I love the pyramid scheme, the pyramid analogy. Um, yeah, it's like that pressure, can it fuel you or hold you back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so. I say that because, you know, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure we, we all experienced pressure in different areas, whether it's relationships or in our 
our lifestyle and our health or in our business or whatever. But I think a lot of how we get that pressure to work for us is we really have to master the skills to be, to be good enough that it really does push us into high gear instead of kind of getting us stuck in the mud. So yeah, kind of a fun analogy there that you kind of fed into. So thank you for indulging me. <laughs> um, so, so tell me a little bit about, you know, you, you mentioned, you just kind of glossed over, I shaved my head. I made, I made this commitment. Why, yes. why shaving your head? Why something so dramatic? What, what was the importance of that for you? Cause I think this is important for people like this, this commitment, this idea of how we really like make real change in life. Yeah, because, well, marketing is very seductive. It's very seductive to me to continue to be a marketer. And um, I have to really remind myself every single day that um, to follow my passion of the life coaching. And really, there's, you know, there are a lot of life coaches out there. Um, I really focus on codependency and narcissism. And that's really my, um, my, my niche focus is I want to work with codependents. So people that have um, struggled with people pleasing or saying yes all the time um, or feel anxiety or anxious. Um, I want to help people that exhibit signs of codependency and help them live um, a more calm and uh, fulfilling life. And so that's really where my passion is. And that's really what I want to use my life energy towards as my purpose. Um, marketing is something I've done. I'm good at doing. I have a lot of familiar, familiarity doing. And um, it's that, that it's very seductive to, to, to want to keep doing it. And so um, the shaving my head was a big reminder, you know, to, um, to change it up. So. Um, Right now I am doing, I am doing both, but the plan is to eventually pivot and just focus on life coaching. Very cool. I, I totally get that. I used to be a house flipper, right? And this was before all the TV shows and everything. So everybody was like, oh my gosh, you flip houses. That's so cool. I wish I could do that. And then honestly, I got kind of bored of it. And I know that sounds terrible to say, but I was making really good money. So it was seductive, right? The money was, yeah. was seductive and people look up to you and they think you're so cool and you're doing this thing they want to do. And are you like the guys on TV? And I even got called by some of the TV shows because I was living in LA at the time, flipping houses. And I, last thing I wanted when I was dealing with, you know, a house full of mold was a camera following me around, right? Like that's pretty, <laughs> pretty scary. Uh, so I decided that that was not going to be my gig. And I'm kind of glad because 2008 and nine was not a pretty time. Uh, you know, 2004 through 2007 was great. But anyway, long story short, I totally get that. So what would you say to someone who maybe feels like I'm in this business? I started off with a passion for this, but now maybe I've outgrown it. I'm ready to make a transition, try something different. What would you say about that journey that's, that's important or that you figured out from your, your experience? Obviously you don't know everything, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how you made a decision to say, you know what, this other thing's serving me well, but it's, it's time to make a move. Um, I mean, I, I would recommend hiring a coach, <laughs> <laughs> totally but, you that. know, you know, I think, you know, all, all coaches have coaches because we get the value of it. And I think once you've been in a, 
um, positive coaching relationship, um, you get what it means um, to really be held and to be kept accountable and to take action steps toward whatever you, your goal might be. Um, so there's definitely an exploration phase of, you know, thinking of different things that you want to do and then going forward with it and going forward with trainings and different things that will help you get there. Um, but I mean, a, hiring a, a coach is a, is a wonderful idea. Um, there's a network that I'm in called karma coaches. It's with a, a K karma coaches with also with a K and there's all different kinds of coaches for every different walk of life. Um, maybe you're looking for a career transition or something else, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, we have coaches for every kind of, every kind of person. Yeah. I can, I can definitely speak to that. I've had people ask me, you know, should I get a coach or this or that? And I've told people, if all you get out of that coach is accountability, even if they never push you or direct you, or they just hold you to your word, it's going to be worth the money, right? Like even a not great coach is, is typically way better than no coach in my opinion. opinion. And if you get a a good one, hold on to them. They're, they're gold. So I've had a couple in my life and they have definitely been, you know, just touchstones for acceleration in, in the areas that I was trying to pursue at those times in my life and fundamentally change the, the trajectory of it. So I can echo your, your thoughts there. And especially in tough times, right? Or, or when you're trying to make some big decisions, it's really nice to have an outside perspective because I do think we all get stuck in our own little bubble, even if it's a, a pretty little bubble, <laughs> you, you can only see what's in there. Right. Yes, exactly. The yeah, coaches yeah. help expand your perspective hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that hundred percent. So, so Dana, this has been a, a real pleasure. I do want to hit you with something that I like to offer for guests. And that is just, uh, well, before I go into that real quick, tell people again, where they can find you online so that we, uh, we make sure it'll be in the show notes, but share that with us. Yeah, sure. If you are on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Dana K. Humphrey. I also love to connect on LinkedIn and you can find me at my website. It's DanaHumphrey.com. Very cool. So I always like to end the show by giving you 30 to 90 seconds to literally say anything that you want to say. doesn't need to be related to what what we've got here, but um, but I'd love to give you a chance to just put your voice out there and, and say whatever you think is important to the world. So. Uh, Take it away. Hmm. Well, you already—I already gave you my favorite quote. Um, <laughs> let's see. Um, how about this? If you if you if you rest, you rust. My my favorite yoga teacher tells me that every day. It's really important to keep moving. Um, I'm I stay very active. I love to dance, and I love to um, I love to do yoga so that I can do more dancing. So keep moving, keep, keep grooving. I think there's so much power in that. I'm a, I'm a dancer myself, although mostly partner dancing these days. Oh, cool. And I have really missed it because obviously not a lot of partner dancing has been happening for the past year. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I love that hundred percent. I think just moving that energy and being in a playfulness and a, a place of self-expression really shakes out a lot of that stuff where we entrepreneurs kind of get stuck in our head. I think it clears a lot of that out for me. And honestly, I've missed it this year. So I'm with you. It's just back in the body. It really, it really does. So 
Dana, just thank you so much for your time. I think you've really passed down some some great insights and some knowledge here that uh, a lot of people will find valuable. So I just appreciate you being on the show. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Big Life Show. If you're a six or seven figure business owner who'd like to be on the show, we'd love to talk about it. Just visit biglifefinancial.com slash guest to get the ball rolling. And if you heard something you loved on the show today, don't be shy about sharing it. And if you do, be sure to use the hashtag smallbusinessbiglife so we can see that you're sharing the love. And heck, if we swoon over your post, we might even pass it on to our many thousands of followers to help share the love and the spotlight with you. Speaking of love, if you like today's show, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You know why? Because then you'll never miss another episode and you can get all the motivation, inspiration, and insights with every new episode. Also, if you want to see everything else we're up to on YouTube, social media, or even in real life, you can always visit us at biglifefinancial.com. Well, that's it for today. My name's Derek Van Ness, and I want to personally thank you for being a part of the small business Big Life movement. Now get out there, create more than you consume, love people more than you need to, and believe in magic because yes, it does exist.